2: Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and this episode will be looking back at the one-nil form victory at the Championship playoff final at Wembley. And now the club has been promoted to the Premier League. I was there, and I look forward to sharing my thoughts on it. But I have several people on this episode to join me. First, Mr. Janais, how are you doing? How are you feeling today?
3: I don't. I still don't have a job, you know. I'm trying to find a <laughs> job, and 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 I don't know anywhere. I'm um, elated. I mean it what a what a what a performance what a what a win. It's I mean, I think I don't think there's a fan out there that's not already is not still on cloud 74 right now. It's just Absolutely. surreal. and it's uh, it's nice to be able to re- start reading the papers and talk about online Premier League transfer gossip. That's when you know it's really going to hit.
2: Absolutely. Good stuff there my friend. I look forward to doing the show with you. Mr. Cohen, you made it to Wembley along with myself. Thank you to the Fulham supporter that helped you out. We could talk a little bit about that, John Quinn, for doing that for you. Talk about your time at Wembley, and uh, I look forward to hearing about it.
0: Yeah, first and foremost, thank you to John Quinn, who amazingly, very kindly reached out to me and arranged to get me and my family tickets. It was a great gesture, and it made my dream come true because it was just that. It was a dream to see my favorite club play at Wembley, to win at Wembley, to get into the Premier League. And Saturday just made all those dreams come true. It was, without a doubt, one of the best days of my life, and I can't wait to talk more about it with you guys.
2: I look forward to getting all of your thoughts on it. I'll be sure mine in just a bit. But we have Mr. Dan Crawford on us from com. Dan, how are you doing? Are you still on cloud nine?
4: Oh, yeah, mate. It's going to take a while to come down from cloud <laughs> nine. I don't know about the rest of you. All right, you know, <laughs> That was incredible, wasn't it, Russ?
2: It was. It was. Dan, in the history of form, where, where does this rank? Is this number one? Uh, for me, it's
4: number one. Yeah, obviously, I don't go back uh, quite as far as some supporters. But, um, yeah, it's right up there. I didn't think I'd ever see Fulham play at Wembley. So, there was a part of me that was happy to be there. But, of course, in a game of such magnitude, you want to win. Um, and there were several points of which I was slightly nervous. Uh, <laughs> I'm there with and you. That's an that's an understatement.
2: Um, But we got there in the end. Exactly. And uh, Dan, I'm just going to now just go right back to you because you said we got there in in the end. And uh, I've been seeing a lot of chatter from, say, Aston Villa supporters and and supporters from other teams contacting me and talking about certain controversial moments. We'll go through that and uh, talk about these moments. But I'm just going to say it this way. Then they deserved to win that and gain promotion. Would you agree with me on that? I think you're going to say yes.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, let's set aside all of that, um, or all of the sort of talking points, if you like, right. from the match. Right. After the first half, I was astounded at how easy it was. You know. Oh, they were dominant. Fulham could have been three nil up at half time, and of course, absolutely. being Fulham. We weren't freeing enough at half time <laughs> um, exactly we we don't like to make it easy for ourselves. you know we do have to sort of go through you know several heart attacks before the final <laughs> whistle um but uh you know, we were fantastic in the first half, and you know what we were fantastic in the second half in a totally different way absolutely Matt, Max put Wouldn't it perfectly. Be more right in the article that he wrote where the first half showed, uh, uh, there was a juxtaposition. I think you said, Max between the first 45 minutes and a second 45 minutes of pure grit and desire and determination. And, you know, there was almost an element of the players knew what was at stake and they weren't going to give in. They weren't going to give anyone an, an opportunity. And, You know, Marcus Bettinelli kept a clean sheet at Wembley. He did. (laughs) Five five years ago, he was playing conference football or below the conference for for Dartford, you know, and now he's in the Premier League. And that pretty much says everything about what a magical day that was.
2: It was uh, completely magical. And, Max, since uh, Dan just brought up your article, tell us a little bit about it. And uh, it's very interesting because uh, I was listening to a, Aston Villa podcast, and uh, they were talking about the performance of Fulham. one of the hosts. I was going back and forth with them, DMing. We, we disagreed on their evaluation. One of the co-hosts, actually, I should just say one of the co-hosts, I disagree with uh, his evaluation of uh, Fulham's uh, performance here because I, I I thought, again, it was a, a performance of two different halves. I, I think Dan really explained it. Well, I thought the second half was more about playing a little bit like Brighton did all of last season, just being really tough to break down and just doing your job. That's the way I looked at it. the second half was doing your job and the first was really just being in complete control and dominant. Just share a little bit about your article. Is that what your article was about? I have not read it. I apologize for that.
0: Yeah, of course. I think Dan did a great job of summing it up um, because it really is that juxtaposition between the first half of when we played our beautiful football Of when exactly as Dan said it was easy I turned to my family at at the end of the first 45 and I said I don't think that could have gone any better of course he could have got more goals but the fact that we dominated possession we dominated the chances and Villa looked toothless they had nothing and suddenly we were playing that lovely passing style the combinations were flowing and it looked destined for us to be in the Premier League and then the second half of course with our Valiant, I mean, Villa came out flying out of, out of, out of the gates. Absolutely. And we're just as we were about, about to kind of, of, exactly, just as we were trying to, we kind of had more chances. I mean, Johansson blazed that massive chance over. Um, and then Adoy got sent off. And then that last 20 minutes was just pure grit, as you guys said. And I think that's a great, a great um, almost metaphor for our season as a whole. Because there were times when we played that lovely free flowing football. I'm thinking of Sheffield United um, in particular at home. That was, I think, the encapsulation of our football. But I think in a lot of times that maybe didn't get as much attention. We ground out victories. We played with the grit and desire needed. And that was exactly how we played at Wembley. We had the beautiful football and we had the grit and desire. And that's really how this entire season went, I think.
2: That's a great way to put it. That second half was grinding it out. And they found a way to get that part of them during the season. Because that was my whole thing. Could they find ways to grind out a game? You have... Both parts of their game, you have the beautiful free-flowing football the first half, the second grinding it out and finding a way to win, and that's exactly what they did. And I just thought to myself, those final 25 minutes, if they can grind it out, they deserve this so much because uh, it it really epitomizes how far they have come to be able to do that down a man. That, to me, they completely deserved it. And and I just wanted to say that real quick quick and then we'll really get into this. I'll just share my thoughts on this. I flew out Friday night from Boston and uh, it was just a a whirlwind. I I barely had any sleep. I was all excited and uh, I probably only had about an hour of sleep. Next thing I know, uh, co-host Emilio Danello picks me up at the airport, go back to his place, rest for just a little bit. And before I know it, I'm on my way to Wembley and I'm going to tell you guys all this because this is how I feel about this. I've been to all kinds of sporting events my entire life. I was to the AFC championship game last year for the New England Patriots. I've never experienced an atmosphere like at Wembley in my entire life. I've never seen it. I've never felt it. The bigger part of this, and Dan, I want to go to you, how I felt and, and the the emotion Walking into Wembley with all of those Fulham supporters, I did not hear the Aston Villa supporters. I'm sure they were loud on their end, but <laughs> the atmosphere, Dan, I want to get your thoughts on it because I've never experienced that before.
4: Um, Yeah, look, I think Fulham have a reputation of being quite a sedate crowd, you know, um, quite a uh, quite a reasonable and friendly uh Set of supporters, and in the build-up to the game, there's quite a lot about you know Villa will bring the noise. Villa, are a massive club, you know they'll make they'll make lots of noise, and they did sing, um, and you could hear them on the highlights. Like you, Ross, I couldn't really hear them uh, aside from the beginning and and and, and after the uh, and immediately in the in the second half. But um, you no, know, Fulham made a lot of noise. Absolutely. Um, and you could tell from the players uh, that that was really helping them at times when they were uh, when they were struggling in, in the game, especially that last twenty minutes because it seemed like every time we kicked it out for a throw or something, the Fulham bands were celebrating like we'd scored another goal, <laughs> um, which was extraordinary. but I also yes. think more than that the um the visual uh, effect of the, uh, the white, the sea of white, the white wall um, behind that goal was incredible. It was. i seen a couple of shots of it from,
2: from the Aston Villa end, and it looks amazing. Totally agree, Dan. And, and I just wanted to bring up the atmosphere because I think it definitely played a role. The fans certainly played a role. And, and uh, I got chills hanging out with the uh, Fulham supporters. And before I go on any further, I just want to thank all the Fulham supporters that, were nice enough just to say hello to me. I, it means the world to me. Everyone was so nice to me. Uh, I watched the match with uh, co-host Emila Danello, Steve Lidyard, and also Reese Curtis, uh, along with Callie Cowling came as well. Joe Tyvy was there, and we just had the best time. It was nervy, but it was just wonderful to be among all of these foam supporters. I came all this way, and the minute I walked in, it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I actually tweeted out, Oh crap, I'm actually here for this. And I meant that in a positive way because I've never experienced anything like that. And uh, I I just want to thank everyone that was part of the white wall, everyone that I met and just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because it was such a wonderful experience and uh, you played a role in foam gaining promotion. I truly believe that. All right, Giannis, I'm going to start with you. Just, I want to get your thoughts. Let's do this real quick thoughts on, the starting eleven and the 18 overall, just real quick here.
3: No, no complaints. No complaints. He was, uh, I said to you in the pre-match that, that they really needed uh, Slava needed to play boo boo. He did that. Um, he, he was in the temptation to bring my friend in uh, Floyd Aite. Uh Naskin's Cabana was the unlucky one not to make a feature on the bench, but you could see after the game he was as happy as anybody else. Um, you know, it was the right 18 uh, for the right occasion, and I really, I, I, I felt there was only going to be one goal in it. I just. Thought we had just too much, um, too too much panache and and, and Giannis, speed. you got it
2: right, didn't you? Yeah,
3: well, yeah. I, I just thought that we matched up really, really well. Although uh, I think, um, um, you know, I think in, in one crucial area, I thought it was going to be very even. One crucial area, I, I thought the big one was actually the coaching, because Bruce, Steve Bruce's, um, their tactics from the first minute were all wrong. You could see that they were sitting back and. Um, You know, it was like they were playing not to to lose. And then second half, when he figured out they had a problem, they started attacking. But no complaints about the lineup. It was exactly what I expected.
2: Okay, quickly, Dan, your thoughts on the uh, 18 and, of course, the starting 11?
4: Yeah, I was really pleased with the starting 11. Um, I wondered if we might uh, go a bit safety first and not play Kamara uh, from the beginning. But I was really pleased to see him in there because, you know, he is as unpredictable as anything. I don't think he knows what he's going to do. That's a good point. Next. So how a defender can prepare to to play against him um, is is, uh, unimaginable, really. And also... um, we got not not just the, the, the personnel, but we got the strategy absolutely right. We came out on the front foot, and I think that was down to the confidence that the coaching staff have imbued into the team about the way that we play. So, yes, yeah, Visa had it spot on. And I think all of his substitutions in terms of how to manage the game were were, were excellent as well, because what we've added from last season is an ability to, to be more professional um, and to be tougher to play through at the critical times. And that really came in very handy in that last 20 minutes.
2: Absolutely, Dan. That's a great point. Managing the game. Savisa so did an excellent job doing that and make sure that we had the right players out there to end that match. That's a great point there, my friend. All right, Max, over to you. Your thoughts on the starting 11 and the 18 overall. Do you agree with the guys?
0: Yeah, the the main thing for me, I think the only real uh, question of debate was who's going to start in that right wing position. And as we've all said, you know, Kamara was clearly the right option. He was superb. Um, And I think there was one moment when he went on that brilliant run and, you know, just totally faked out John Terry before he unfortunately slipped. It could have been a penalty. But that kind of summed uh, his entire day up for me because he had that tireless running ethic the entire match. And then we went down for 10. Although he got substituted off a little while after, he was a great outlet. He was always a willing runner, just to waste some time in the corner, um, and he really did himself proud, I think. And just to think that that was only a second start in a row, and he hadn't started since the Borough match back in January—that's made that even the more impressive for me.
2: Okay, excellent. All right, guys, let's get into this. We can do things a little bit differently. I just want to get your overall view of the first half, and then after that, we're going to go through a couple of key moments. There is. Uh couple of controversial moments in this match that I want to spend a little bit of time on. Of course, we have to talk about the great goal by Tom Kearney. But, Mr. Janais, I'm going to start with you. Just give me your overall view of how Fulham played in the first half. I thought they were excellent. Dan's already said that. I believe Max has as well, and I agree with that. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, they were excellent. I mean, our shape was very good defensively. We we looked solid. Um, very good link-up play with the midfield. Very good link-up play with the strikers. Um I mean, it really was only one team in it the first half. I thought, I thought Villa really, apart from Grealish, in that first half were poor, poor. It almost looked like somebody put Percocet in their tee before the game. Do you think but, they
2: were nervous, Giannis? Do you think they were nervous?
3: Look, I think they were flat. They, looked just, they just looked flat. They just didn't, there wasn't a lot of movement. They really didn't press high at all. Um, it's almost as if they were waiting for things to happen and... and I think, you know, maybe maybe we, maybe we the Villa fans or players were foxed by the wall of white. It can be intimidating going to a stadium and, and seeing that. And it really, you know, they looked spooked and they looked slow. And, and the first half was really men against the boys. If anything, we should have been two or three up by the half.
2: Okay, excellent there. Dan, over to you. It, it's funny because when I look at this, going into it, I, Giannis and I were talking about how Aston Villa had all this experience, and I thought Fulham needed at least 20 minutes to really get their way into the match and then relax and then take it from there. And maybe this is just me watching the match being there. It just felt like Aston Villa were not in any gear. They were just flat, as as Giannis said. But I think maybe they were a little bit intimidated. I, I want to get your thoughts on the first half, but also how, how Villa came out in this match.
4: Well, I think, as we said... Um, as, as we've all said, you know, Fulham started on the front foot and actually taking the game to Aston Villa probably knocked them off their stride a little bit. Um And I thought that was essential because we had to start well. Uh If we'd have conceded the first goal, then Villa would have had something to hold on to and they're a very good side at um, defensively and at, at, and at shoring up a lead. Um So we we didn't need that to happen. I actually felt Maybe they were intimidated, perhaps they were nervous, right. but I felt that um, Bruce was quite negative and um, cautious in the way that he sent his team out because you could see the very stark difference between how they got the ball wide and got their, their wingers involved in the second half when they had Correct. to very different. Come, out, come out and play. And actually, that pushed the likes of Fredericks and especially Target who had a lot of space in the first 20 minutes or so to go deep into Aston Villa territory. Um, That pushed them back in the second half. So, you know, I think we started at a tempo. We had an awful lot of the ball in the first 20, 25 minutes. And I think that just settled everybody down. And, you know, people realized there wasn't much to fear here and we just had to take our chance. And unfortunately, we did that. Absolutely there, Dan.
2: All right, Max, over to you. Your thoughts on the first half. Yeah, I'm I'm
0: really glad you guys brought up kind of like the the pre-match talk of how, you know, Villa were the more experienced side. We never had a player who played at Wembley. And then ironically, they're the ones who started with little or no ambition. And I think it was really crucial that we had so much of the ball in that opening period. I glanced over at the big screen at one point, I think half an hour into the match, and it was like 70 to 30% possession for Fulham, which was remarkable. And that really showed, yeah, and Villa were so flat. I was almost so surprised that they offered so little attack considering, you know, how high-powered their attack is with players like Rabin, Grealish, Snodgrass, you know, all undoubtedly Premier League quality players. It didn't seem like they played with any ambition um, and not really played into Fulham's hands, uh, as we got mentioned. And, of course, the goal, I think, came at the perfect time because it, sometimes when we're on top early on in the first half, which we've seen at times this season, we struggle to get that goal, uh, and it might come later. But this match, we really got that early goal, and I think that, that set the tone for the rest of the match, and that was really crucial.
2: Okay. Excellent, Max. All right. I'm going to go right back to you and I'm going to give you the honors to talk about the goal by uh, Tom Kearney before that, we have to talk about that there was an opportunity from Abubakar Kamara in the 21st minute. Now that leads to the goal, just a couple minutes later from Tom Kearney, but set up beautifully from Ryan Sessnion and uh, talk about the goal. Describe it to us, please.
0: It was a goal of absolute beauty. And as we were discussing before the show, I think we've all watched it probably hundreds of times by now. It's, it's, it's a beautiful goal. So I think it all starts out with a really intelligent a ball from Stefan Johansson. He takes it on first time, basically just inside the Villa half, smashes it right to the feet of Sessignon, and it takes out on four or five Villa players with just one pass, which is crucial to getting that impetus to starting the attack. We like to probe, and then that was an incisive pass, and that really started it off. And Cession's first touch... It was poor. I think Johansson might have overhit it and Session wasn't ready. And it took it just to the point where uh, Conor Hurahan, the Villa midfielder, could have a chance to slide in and take the ball. But when you see this, I've watched this again, I don't really understand how Hurahan missed the challenge. But I think it has to go down to the deft touch of Sesson who just eluded him, left Hurahan on the floor and all he had to do then, he still had a lot to do. And he picked out the perfect through ball right in between Terry and Hudden, those two... Very old players, probably a combined age of over seventy years old. He played it right in between them, and that's just that's, that's for me is all, what Asesino is all about. Because he might not have had the most influential game, but when it, the matter, when he drifts into those central positions, he has that knack of finding the right pass, the right finish, and that's what makes him such a valuable player. And the pass was so good; Kearney didn't even have to take a touch, didn't even have to break stride, and got a confident, cool finish uh, right past Sam Johnston. And after that goal, that was probably the loudest I've, I've ever heard a stadium ever – yeah, the loudest it I've exploded. ever yelled. It exploded, and it it, it was one of the moments I'll, I'll never forget in my life.
2: I'm right there with you. Besides the final whistle, which we'll be talking about in a little bit, I'll tell you what, what happened with me in the final <laughs> whistle, which was which was amazing. But um, let's move on. And uh, right after that, you have an opportunity from Abubakar Kamara once again. And, Dan, I'm going to go to you. Let's we'll, we'll start talking about a controversial moment that happened – a little bit later, it involves Ryan Fredericks and Jack Creelish. Now, I didn't see this live. I didn't notice it live, unfortunately. I, I didn't. It was, you know a little f- uh, far back. I didn't notice it, but I started getting messages from uh, people on social media about this at halftime telling me that he should have been sent off. And uh, what I did this morning, I, I watched it a bunch of times. I actually asked Steve Lidyard, who is a ref, who's a co-host, and I wanted to ask his thoughts on this. And, you know, this is this is what I messaged Steve, and Steve said it was fine to uh, to definitely uh, talk about what he shared. I, I just said, Steve, have you seen the controversial stamp by Fredericks on Grealish yet? He said, yes, and it's not clear-cut. Notice, Fredericks never takes his eyes off the ball. That's what the fourth official will have noticed. I said, how is this deliberate? That was my question to him. He says, even if it is, you can't be sure. 99% isn't enough. Grealish, he's talking about Grealish's situation later on, which we'll talk about as a red. Then Adoy isn't off. That's who he fouls. But to Steve Lidyard's point, who is a ref, he brought up the whole point, and I watched this, Dan. If you watch Ryan Fredericks, he's looking at the ball. He's not looking at Grealish. And, and of course, the fourth official's right there. Along with... Bruce and along with Jokanovic, I don't see this as as deliberate. Why would he do it in front of all these people? But I want to get your thoughts on it. Am I wrong?
4: Yeah, I think. Well, um, I think it's a. I like Ryan Fredericks. He's a terrific player, um, and it looks a lot worse on the slow motion than it does in normal speed. I think, but you can't make contact with a player like that. I understand what people are saying that, you know, he was going for the ball. He wasn't looking at Grealish. He's trodden on him accidentally, but you've seen so many people sent off for that because it's an act of aggression, uncontrolled aggression and it's dangerous play, violent conduct. You know, he was very lucky um, to stay on the field um, because another referee in another situation might well have sent him off. Another right. referee might have been closer to it um, because I'm not sure you could ascertain exactly where his foot had gone um, at, at, at first glance. But I think had this happened, say to Fredericks, um, we'd have been calling for a red card. <laughs> I, I winced I winced when I saw it. Um and I, you know, nothing changes my view. And I, I did referee football games quite a long, you know, ten years ago now for, for quite a long period of time. You know, I'd have sent him off for that, no question.
2: Okay, and again, I'm I'm just also going to add this that Steve says uh, agree he could have easily gone. I, uh, you know, and again, it's a it's a decision, but I never, you know, again until I watched it back and I saw that he was looking at the ball, but I, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's, um it's open for discussion. That's why I wanted to bring this up. Max, what are your thoughts on all this?
0: It's a tough one. I, 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 agree with you guys in the moment. I had no idea. I didn't see it. I just thought Grealish was play acting. So I think in that sense, maybe his reputation preceded him there, but uh, yeah, like, just like Dan, I watch it back in the replay and it's, it does not look good. Of course it is a slow-mo. So that's not awesome. He stamps right on, on Grealish's knee. And it, it looks bad. But, I mean, the argument can be made, like like you said and like Steve said, Russ. Um, he's looking at the ball. You know, he's he's he, it, it wasn't like it was completely away from the ball. He's trying to walk. Grealish did kind of fall down right in front of him. It, it doesn't look good. I'm, of course, you know, we're very lucky it wasn't a red. But my whole uh, opinion has to be um, changed by what Grealish did to Kane in the second half. And the fact of the matter is that was disgusting as well. So I, I yeah. have very little sympathy for him there.
2: Okay. And uh, again, you know, just just talking back and forth with Steve on uh, on instant message, you know, and again, he's he's saying that that he he's open to either scenario that that it, to be called or not to be called. But he just says the only person that knows the truth behind this is Ryan Fredericks, and, that, and that's what makes this uh, difficult to to make a clear cut answer on. But I thought I would at least bring it up, and uh, I understand, Dan. I totally understand where you're coming from, and I also want. Understand others that uh, like Steve, that were bringing up other elements to it. But um, it's a good point because if this was in reverse, we'd be um, we'd be pretty upset too. So so uh, b- very good by you to bring that up there, uh, Dan. It's a good point. Giannis, your thoughts on this?
3: Hello. Oh, well, oh, to be honest, I mean, who cares? I mean, we won't. <laughs> I mean, let's let's let, let's call it the way it is. But also, I have to tell you, uh, when I did see it in real time, I thought, oh no,
4: yeah.
3: it was a red. It was a red. Yeah, I mean, it was a red every day of the week. Okay. But but fortune favors the brave, and and we've said about you know, decisions, you know, they even themselves out. And and good God, have we are we overdue a little bit of luck or what? I mean, we, we aren't we for years and years. Yeah. We yeah, and so I um, know the Villa fans. Sorry, sorry. I, I'm not Villa. I meant Aston Vanilla fans uh, are <laughs> pretty, 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 pretty upset right now because you know they're playing Birmingham City next year. And let's not forget Rotherham. But to be fair, um, they really can't have any complaints over the whole game because the tactics in the first half were negative. They were better second half, but really, we were still the better side in the day. So okay. um, I wish them all the best next year when they're playing Mill and the ha okay.
2: okay, very good. And uh, listen, I, I, I appreciate the commentary of Max and and Dan Crawford on this, and uh, everyone has, a, has an opinion. It's interesting because I, I was thinking just like Dan had said until I actually saw... And Steve had pointed that out, but there are two ways to look at it. That's why it could have gone either way. And and uh, as Yana said, uh, he sees it as as a as a red. I can see that, and that's why it's uh it's interesting to talk about. But in the end, like Yana said, uh, you know, we deserve a little bit of luck, I guess. You know, so yeah. so let's uh let's move on from that. And uh, one other key moment in the first half was the header from uh, Ryan Session in the forty third minute. Now let's transition. Let's talk about the second half. And, guys, we've already talked about this already, that the play by Aston Villa changed. And, Dan, you did a very good job, I believe, of uh, describing that. But let's go back to you and just talk about the early stages and the, the pressure that Aston Villa was putting on Fulham
4: Yeah, I mean, they they obviously would have sat down at half time and realized that things weren't going very well. So they were going to be a bit more adventurous and a bit more aggressive. And the problem was... Um, Adoma became so much more influential and there's at least two games at at, at Villa Park that I can remember that he's um, that he's caused real problems uh, for Fulham and he was hitting those crosses in that were starting to really Uh, take effect. The same sort of crosses, Russ, that were causing us real problems at Birmingham on the last day of the season um, into that sort of around the near post channel and a bit deeper. um, And also, you know, a similar sort of ball to the one that Derby scored from in the playoff semi-final, first leg. Um, But, you know, I I, I, I looked back at it and for all their probing, and they certainly did have, you know, a number of times they overhit across from the left or, you know, across sort of flashed across the six yard line. Um, there was one where Bettinelli came for it and Grealish headed it over. And I really thought that was going to be the moment because, yes. you know, um, it looked like uh, it was going to be that I felt like that was going to be the equaliser. But for all their pressure, Russ. Um, and Ellie in that period didn't have to make a save. It was only, you know, the only real save he had to make was from Greenish much later on, um yes. in the half. So, you know, we we're under pressure, but we also we defended it very well. You know, I only have to look at Tim Ream to sort of calm me down in these situations <laughs> because he's so cool. You know, in, uh, and they all have an idea of what they're they're trying to do. You've got Reem, um, and you had a doy who obviously he, he got sent off. Unfortunately, one thing we didn't mention. I didn't think that first booking was a was a booking. I wasn't even I agree, sure it was yeah, a foul. Yeah. Wasn't um, a booking, I, I agree with Yeah. I mean, I don't know, it looked to me like he, he got the ball in the in the tackle. So, you know, um And also McDonald was immense. So I felt like we did very well to contain a
2: livelier Villa in that second half. Okay, excellent there. Max, your thoughts on what Dan just shared about the early stages. Do you agree with him?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the crosses is a really good tactical point to bring up because that's always kind of given us problems. And we do have, I mean, our, our fullbacks, one criticism you could say is they don't necessarily close down those areas quickly enough. And that was poor against Bermio and poor against Derby, you know, in the first leg of the playoff semifinal. So that was an issue. But again, I think the crucial point that Dan brought up as well is that, you know, how many saves did Ben Ali have to make? And the fact of the matter is for all the possession and kind of chances, not really all possession and attacking, uh, you know, possession as well, they had, there weren't many clear cut chances that you could have said, wow, we got lucky there. With the exception of, you know, the guerrilla one-on-one, the block at the end by Norwood and that, you know, when Grealish headed over from the cross, it wasn't like they were definitely raining down our goal. They had, pre- they had pressure for sure. But I think another good um, aspect of our defensive formation is that we can, at times when we are under the cost, we can let them have that possession, but we really limit them to very few good scoring opportunities, which I think is, is key.
2: Okay. Excellent there. And I'm glad you guys talked about the uh, opportunity from uh, Jack Reelish in the 60th minute. Marcus Bettinelli makes the save. It was a great run for him, but uh, I believe, Dan, was it uh, Kevin McDonald get a block on that?
4: Oh, mate. There's two things about that. The yeah. first thing is what a tackle from Kevin McDonald. Because Jack mm-hmm. makes a, it, it would have, I think I wrote in the report, it would have been one of the great Wembley goals. Yeah. Um, you know, the way he sort of slalomed around, I think it was four players in the end. And he beats McDonald once, but McDonald has the presence of mind to sort of recognise where he's going and dive in because he knows the shot's going to come soon because Grealish is running out of room. And that actually makes it a better reaction save, I think, from from Bettinelli, because it sort of hits McDonald, gets a deflection, and Bet, um makes a really good save. And I have to say just while we're on Marcus, what a moment that was when, after the final whistle, he picked up the flair, which obviously we can't condone right. uh, on this, bo- on the, on, on this <laughs> podcast. It's, it's all, you know, it's very unsafe. But it was the moment of the day for me when he, somebody who, you know, came to the club at 14, you know, was very close to being released at 18, Uh and he's it's a, it's a genuine Fulham fan. He's been through the, the struggles of relegation and not being in the team, very recently not being in the team, you know, and carried the flair ran to celebrate with the Fulham fans. It's a terrific photograph. And you know what? He's been magnificent uh, since he came back into the side. And that save, as well as that one, I think it was against Leeds, Earlier in the season, Russ, where he made a save from a from a one on one, and we went up the other end and scored straight away. That's a great point. He has been absolutely pivotal, and I'm so pleased for the guy because he lives and breathes Fulham. Way to put it, and. And, you know, that was as critical a save as you'll ever make on the big occasion. And you could just sense people growing in confidence because that felt like a big moment.
2: That's a great way to look at it, Dan, because, again, we're talking about the different styles of of form from the first half to the second half. And you have this play and you you really did a nice job talking about with all the huffing and puffing from uh, Aston Villa, you know, we're talking about their dominant play. How dangerous was it? Well, this was the opportunity, and and uh, Marcus Batinelli comes up big along with Kevin McDonald. They really did their job because that would have been a great goal, like you mentioned, but the goal was not to be done because Fulham did their job, and that's what's great about it. And like you said, the confidence comes after that, especially with things that happen afterwards, and we're going to talk about some of them right now. Max, I'll go to you in the 63rd minute. Again, this is another controversial situation that involves Jack Grealish this time. It's his tackle on Tom Kearney. I think it's a red. I believe uh, our uh, co-host, Steve Woodyard said it's a red. Your thoughts. Should this have been a red and not a yellow?
0: There's no doubt about it, Russ. That is a disgusting tackle. It should have been a straight red. And this is why I think Grealish is going to find it difficult to succeed at the big stage because he just has that attitude to be so petulant, so disgraceful. And, and, And the fact of the matter is he goes into that challenge knowing he's aiming to hurt Tom Kearney. There's zero attempt to play the ball. All he's looking at there is Tom Kearney's ankle, and he tries to snap it. He goes studs up so late, and it, I mean, it's, it, it, made, it makes me so angry because I think what if he actually you know, made a little bit better contact and actually seriously hurt Tom Kearney, and that would have been just a, an absolute travesty. And I just hate when players go in like that. It's, there's no need for it, and to, the, the only way to get that out of the game is to really punish that with a straight red, which is exactly what it deserves. The only good thing that came out of that incident, I think, is you see how closely knit this Fulham team is. Such a band of brothers, you know, I, as I wrote in my in my match report, is that almost the entire team came r- running over. Mitrovic comes steaming over from probably 30 yards up the well, pitch to go and shove Grealish. And, you know, I love that to see that from fellow teammates standing up for a player who's just been uh, attempted to be injured and just say, listen, you can't do that to one of our mates. That's not going to fly.
2: Okay, very good. Dan, your view on this? Oh, and Max has summed
4: it up. It was a pitiful, um, horrible tackle, and I think it was motivated out of spite. Because I sincerely that- think that um, Grealish thought he was clattered by Kamara just like a moment, a couple of seconds earlier. That's, right. That's a good point. Um, but if anything, you know, that was a sort of coming together of two players, um, and it showed actually that you know. He was becoming frustrated. Max talked about him being being petulant. You know, the great players raise their game and don't get rattled when uh, when the when when the sort of pressure is on. Um, Greenish, obviously, he has a lot a lot to learn. But also, you know, I did feel for him in 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 some sense because you know Villa had all these experienced players, as yourself and Max have have, have spoken about already uh, in the show, and yet. For a lot of the time, Greenish was the only one who was posing a real threat to Fulham. I thought they were anonymous in the forward line, regardless of which strikers they they put on the pitch. And it all came back to Greenish. He was their hope. And you you could just see him getting more and more frustrated that it wasn't going his way. But it was a disgraceful challenge. Um, And it deserved to be punished by a red card. But the referee... Uh, the the thing about the referee there, he saw it, he clearly saw it, his positioning was fine. The thing I noticed, he got his yellow card out very Very quickly. quickly. It was almost as if, almost as if he'd made a conscious decision to not send somebody off unless he had to, you know, because it was a final and he wanted to keep um, the players on the field. That was what I took from that. But like Max really? said, you know, everyone enveloped um, uh, the referee and Grealish and it showed how much how much uh, belief and and bond, such a strong bond there is between uh, these players. Um, and unfortunately, rather than Villa being reduced to men, you know, who we were. <laughs> um, and that made it, you know, I felt like the final... Half an hour or so was gonna be quite nerve wracking and little did I know.
2: Oh boy. Boy, did it up it when we when we get to that in just a few minutes. Dan, I'm, I'm gonna go right back to you because um this happened right in front of me. It happens in the sixty eighth minute, a shot by Stefan Johansson. I I right in front of me I'm thinking, here it is, here's the second goal, but it, it, it goes wide. Love Steph Joe, could he have done a little bit better here, or was there just too much pressure on him where he was? Well, I think
4: there's two things. Well, if it was on his left foot, I think it would have been 2-0 because his left foot's his stronger foot. Sessignon and, and Mitrovic do brilliantly to, to make this opportunity, Russ, because Ryan releases the pass at exactly the right time. Unfortunately for Steph, he's got two... Um, well, how old, how old did you call these defenders, Max? Uh, ancient <laughs> I defenders, had about 70 name. years <laughs> between them or yeah. something like <laughs> that. That's brilliant. Exactly. I love like that. Um, but they both sort of converged on Stefan at the same time. So he had to hit it. And unfortunately, when he, at the point that he struck it, he was leaning back. So it was always going to go up. And I had the same feeling as you. I just thought, oh, no, I really hope we don't miss that chance. Yeah. And it was just in a period where we had a couple of good opportunities. Right. I, think, I think there was a header from Mitrovic from That's Target's right. cross yep. where he sort of guided it wide and he'll feel like he could have done better. McDonald's McDonald's headway from a corner when he was being manhandled. And, you know, I had this horrible feeling that, you know, we hadn't taken our our chances. And at 1-0, you're still uh, vulnerable to a defensive lapse or a moment of brilliance. Um, And it kept us on tender hooks, didn't it? It did,
2: Dan. And uh, I thought that was our moment, but it was not to be. And I started thinking, oh, when is their moment going to happen? And of course, then we, we're we going to talk about the end of the match. But uh, Max, I want to go to you. I, I got a decent view of this, and there are different opinions on this. It involves bubakar Kamara just one minute later, and uh, he goes down the box. It looks like to me, it was right in front of me that he slips. Others think it's a penalty. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I I think it's probably a slip. I think that's probably the fairest thing. I don't I don't think it's a dive, I don't think it's a foul, I think it's just a slip, simple as. But I think that whole situation was really just created by his his amazing pace. And he just picks up the ball and in, in inside his own half and just completely steams past the villa midfield. And when he's one on one with John Terry, um I, I I wrote about this actually into the into the uh the preview of the match, you know. That's gonna be the situations where he's gonna thrive when he's one on one with these um old, aging, not very pacey defenders, he's gonna have a field day. And he almost cut back in and, and applied that perfect finish, which like would have been the ch- uh, cherry on top, um, which really kind of sums okay. up that, that little period we had where we really were dominating, as you guys mentioned just before right. sending off.
2: Now, I want to get your thoughts on the follow up by Yednak? You saw it happens right after. What about that situation?
0: Yeah, that that was that was really odd because the ball really had gone, <laughs> and I, I do think the issue was he Kamara probably it was Yednak, correct? Yeah, uh, I'm. Was it Terry? I'm I'm nah. not sure. I'm not, I think it might have been the defender. What What do you think, Dan?
4: I thought it was Yedinak. Actually. Yeah, okay. I, I don't think it was he who shall not be named.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry. I got that one wrong. But, yeah, I think he was already down on the ground. The, the ball had already gone, and Kamara kind of flew himself to the ground again. I think that that's probably where his reputation probably got ahead of him because he had that dive in the Derby match, and I don't think the, the
4: referee was going to get a penalty for that.
2: Okay. Okay, very good there. Right, Right. but well, yeah. so
4: that was – that was clearly a foul. I know. I accept that the referee wasn't okay. going to give a penalty because he sort of—it's almost like he had that sort of um, no penalty gesture. He prepared right. it in the—he <laughs> prepared it in the mirror in the morning before the game because right. he did it so many times. Um, but that—if if that is not a penalty. Because, of course, in the rules of the game, it doesn't matter where the ball is. That's why you get penalties for people like elbowing somebody in the penalty area. Right. Or for people holding somebody down at a corner when the ball's gone to the other ed- other side of the penalty penalty area. I mean, he clearly, I think he does slip for the first one. The second <laughs> one is an out- outrageous tackle.
2: That's why I'm bringing that up, Dan.
4: <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> no, yeah. not a problem. It, you know, and again, because because everyone's focused on the first action, I don't think enough has been talked about the second action. That's why I wanted to bring that up. Okay, but, so you think the second part, well, obviously, is a foul. Yeah, and
4: what, when, when there's a foul in the penalty area, it follows that that's a penalty.
2: Okay, very good there, my friend. All right, I'm going to give you the honors to talk about the situation with Grealish and Dennis Adoy. And uh, I like Dennis Adoy a great deal. I think that he needs to be more cautious in this situation. That's just my opinion. I want to get your opinion on on that uh, that situation, that, which led to the second yellow card and obviously his sending off.
4: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this is a sending off. I, I can't really see how, how, how else you view this. Um, I think I said already I wasn't sure about his first – in fact, well, I was sure about his first yellow card. It wasn't a yellow card for me. But this one, it's clumsy – it's dangerous. It's almost panicked. And Dennis has done a terrific job as a sort of um, converted centre-back, a makeshift centre-back. Exactly. Center back. But we had this sort of situation in a before once at Brentford where he made a, a needless tackle um, and got, got punished for it. And I don't know if either of you have seen this interview with Kevin McDonald on the Fulham website where... I uh, won't do a Scottish accent because it's terrible. Um, <laughs> oh, give it a go. I want to hear nah, this. No, no. Uh, it's more Yanis' <laughs> main, I think. But um, he says something like, oh, I'm absolutely going to hammer Dennis when I get inside. I'm going to hammer him. Um, because the, the, the your natural centre-back would realise that Greenish has probably miscontrolled the ball or put it a little bit too far ahead of both himself and the opposition player. So, actually, he doesn't need to, to dive in like that. Um, but, unfortunately, yeah, it, it probably is uh, another yellow
2: card. And yeah. it put us under tremendous strain for the rest of the game. It totally did, Dan. And uh, we're going to be talking about the later stages of this match, the last 25 minutes, which were crazy. And uh, when that happened, um, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I I thought, okay, if they can see this out they completely deserve it like i said before but i was extremely nervous i said this is going to be their opportunity talking about aston villa and whenever they had a free kick i would turn to amelia and said oh no here it is but it, it never came to fruition thankfully but before i get your thoughts on the uh, later stages both of you i just want to mention because dan you already talked about this i think it's key to talk about the substitutions by foam you have um Oliver Norwood coming on for Stefan Johansson in the 72nd minute. You have Tomas Kalas coming on for Abubakar Kamara in the 77th minute. And then later on in the 83rd minute, you have Cyrus Christie coming on for Ryan Fredericks. Those were your substitutes and they played a role in full seeing this match out. And Dan, I'll get your thoughts. And then Max, I'll get your thoughts. Let's talk about these last 25 minutes and don't share your, your your thoughts when the final whistle will. We'll leave that for the very end. I just want to get your thoughts on film handling this later stages of this match to see it out.
4: Yeah, look, uh, just on the substitutes. There are two moments that encapsulated it for me. Ollie Norwood has been fantastic, I think, as a squad player yeah. um, for this team throughout the season. He deputised very ably for various midfielders who were injured in the early part of the season. He hasn't seen as much of um, the action uh, as perhaps he would have liked later on, although he did score that penalty against Middlesbrough, which we can't forget. You know, we, we should never forget that. But his moment of the season has to be that unbelievable tackle on Conor That was great. moments after coming on, I'm sure of it. Um, And it just, oh, it was brilliant. Um, And I have to say, I didn't, you know, before he came to Fulham, I didn't really think he was that, he had that in his locker. But what a tackle that was. And Thomas Callas comes off the bench equally, you know, probably his second season hasn't been as good as his first season with Fulham. I think he would probably admit that. And again, he hasn't been on the pitch as much as he would have liked. Um, in the second half of the season but his header in the last minute or the first minute of added time where it looks like Villa have got a ball over the back four, for the first time in the game I think and Kalash jumps and he jumps a very long way in the air but the ball looks like it's behind him and he hangs in the air and somehow he gets his head to it not only does he get his head to it but he heads it further up in the air, thereby reducing the chance of Villa making something from the, from the, uh, rebound. And wow, that was incredible. Yes. And of course we defended very diligently. Yes. We we're under a lot of pressure, but we stayed narrow. We made we made Villa go out wide. We got bodies back into the penalty area. We blocked a lot of things and we were disciplined. And we knew exactly what we had to do. Um, and goodness me, we um you know, I can't think of many clear cut chances that Villa had in that in that period. Maybe there was one header from Hogan, yes
2: who always seems
4: to who always seems to score against us. But we did a brilliant <laughs> job with ten men of
2: nullifying Villa who thrown on an extra couple of forwards themselves. They did. They did. And uh I thought their moment then was the uh free kick by Robert Snodgrass that went wide. But Besides that, like you said, the header from Hogan, there really wasn't much. They also, again, I've seen a lot of this from Aston Villa supporters, uh, the uh, the call for uh, handball on Dennis Adore. I've seen that a few times. And I believe there was also one that they were claiming for Tim Rehm. I, I don't see that in no, any either one of those, Dan. I think you would agree with me. And then, of course, at the very end with uh, Jack Grealish, I watched this uh, with Matt Target. And, uh, again, that's not a penalty.
4: No. No, no, no. Look, seriously, I would be I'd be screaming about it still now if <laughs> any of those penalties had been given. I know. Uh, you know, no, sorry. I, that's just what happens when you yeah. when you're desperate and you, you you're screaming for anything. Hell, we we've been in that position a few times. Um <laughs> exactly. so I don't necessarily blame the Villa
2: fans, but sure.
4: no, we defended really well.
2: Right. We we did and and, and that's the bottom line. This was gut check time and foam came through it with flying colors because that was as difficult as you could put them under down a man for that period of time with everything on the line and they saw it out. And that's what's amazing. Max, your thoughts about the ending stages and then we'll talk about the final whistle.
0: There was this weird thing that I kept doing during that final 25 minutes, you know, after I got sent off and it's it's something it's hard to not do as a football fan. You just kind of imagine. I just kept imagining a goal going in the net and the Villa fan just erupting in in joy. And it was like you don't want to imagine, it, but it's what you're thinking. It's your worst case scenario. And It kept running through my head, and it almost seemed inevitable at times. Because that's I think mean, the worst feeling as, a, as as a fan, seeing you guys concede a goal and seeing the other team's support just erupt. And it, it, I just thought it would happen. You know, I had the worst feeling. I was. It felt like an, an age. It felt like a whole lifetime waiting, just for that you know, final period to end. But, you know, as the minutes ticked on, as, you know, chance after chance they had and really went banking, and I realized, you know, this is going to be our day. And there was this really special moment just before the final whistle. So I think it was probably the 93rd or 92nd minute when we cleared a pass and, you know, the entire just east side, and we all stood up and started just cheering. And it, it almost brought tears to my eyes before I realized, okay, there's still two minutes left to go. But it was just a beautiful moment when we all kind of, and that's when I knew I knew, you know, we're not going to concede today. It's it's going to be a special moment. And just that heroic defensive rear guard action. It was almost, you know, as brilliant as if we'd won 4-0. It was so special.
2: It was, Max. And that's why it goes back to what you said earlier, a, a tale of two halves for foam playing in two different ways. But I thought, again, it's bringing everything to fruition to the very end to see the completion of Fulham Football Club from, I want to say, when... Yokanovich started the season last season, and we weren't really finding ways to win like we are this season. I I look at how Brighton would just find a way to win at the end of these matches, and you're thinking, how did they do it? Fulham were able to do that this season, and it again at the very end, that's what you saw. You saw both sides of their game, not just going forward, playing the attractive football. You saw the gritty part of their game, and in the end, that saw it out. That was you know and again that. That, that got them the promotion. That gritty was was the last part that you saw. So they put their game complete. They made it complete at the very end. And now we have promotion to the Premier League. But we have to end by talking about our emotions at the very end. Dan, I'm going to start with you. Final whistle. What was going through your mind and how did you react?
4: Um, oh, I think I just went crazy. Um, you know, that... The, the last five minutes were just so nerve-wracking. I was convinced that the referee was going to play more than that <laughs> five minutes. I was absolutely exactly, convinced. Yeah. I was there with you. Well.
2: you I, I agree with you. Know, I, keep going.
4: I was like, goodness, that's five minutes, but we're only halfway through. <laughs> um, you know, so he blew the whistle. I was surprised. Yeah. Um, I had a very good friend of mine from the, um, from the Back to the Cottage campaign called Peter Hyams, um, who by chance happened to sit next to me um we hadn't booked the tickets together or anything it just happened um and he was overcome with emotion I had um Lydia Campbell who's been on this podcast a few times I think Russ um she was a few rows in front of me and she came up and gave us all a hug in in tears um and then you know all of it I looked up and there was Cyrus Christie charging towards us, um <laughs> and suddenly everyone else was charging towards us and you know it, there was just this moment of of complete exhilaration yeah. because we'd done it, yes, you know, and it seemed so far off. There are so many times this season where you thought, goodness me we' we're, we're 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 struggling to compete at the at the top level, we've lost our fluency from last season, you know. Uh, Burton away in particular. Sunderland and Brentford are the games that, that, that people talk about. Um, and I was just overcome with emotion because uh, it was a special day to do it there and in the manner that we, we did it. Um, and also for a lot of the supporters, a lot of long-standing supporters who've been going to Fulham for a lot longer than than I have. And, you know, I think some of us probably felt that that 13 years in the in, in the premier league was as good as it got and the fact that slavica kanovic now has the opportunity with with some of these players you know we've got four or five or six players who who genuinely can play in the premier league as in sure. they they're, they're very much good enough to grace that that level and i'm excited that we'll get to see the prospect the, the we'll get to see how um Slavisa Mold's a team for the Premier League and we'll see some of these exciting talents develop. But yeah, it was um it was a crazy uh reaction after the final whistle and, and the
2: celebrations weren't bad either. <laughs> celebrations were great. Max over to you.
0: Yeah, as soon as that final whistle blew, it was just utter relief and there are moments you just kinda of, like lose all sense of any type of inhibitions. There's just there's nothing holding you back and you just let out like the most primal joy, excitement, exhilaration. And I think that's why we all been drawn to sport, been drawn to Fulham in, in particular, because moments like that after the final whistle, that's what makes you suffer through, as Dan mentioned, this Burden away loss, the Sunderland away loss, the Brentford away loss. I mean, and it, it just felt so good for me because I mean the the Felix McGad era. Remember how bad it got when they lost the first seven matches of the season in 2014 and the the pain of relegation just in the spring before that and all the terrible times when I thought we had really lost this beautiful club and it was really going to be a while before we ever made it back to the Premier League when we were really battling relegation to League One for much of those first two and a half years we were back in the championship and to have that all just extinguished, to know we were going to be back in the big time, to know we held on, we weren't going to, this is not one time we're going to let up a late goal, we're going to see through it. And knowing that group of players, uh, I I completely agree with that. They're going to have a chance to show it in the Premier League. It's special because I don't want to see this group of players split up. And that would have happened if we lost. And thankfully we get to indulge in this special, you know, group of 20, 25 men who steered us to this uh, historic achievement. We get to see this all again for at least another season, which is special.
2: Absolutely. I cannot wait for me. Again, this is the best way I can put it, and uh, many people don't follow the New England Patriots, but this is the best way I can do it. In 2001, the New England Patriots won their first Super Bowl, and when Adam Vinatieri kicked the field goal and it went through, I stood there, and I didn't believe it. I actually didn't believe that they actually won it. That was a similar situation here, because it didn't set in, and... It happens, and all of a sudden, there's this massive group hug among all of us. And it still didn't hit me that they had done this. In fact, I, I think hours later, it still didn't register because it was so amazing that we have put that chapter behind us, this relegation chapter, and now we're moving forward back to the Premier League where I believe Fulham belong. And all the hard work, everything that they have done to get to this point, like I said, being able to play the attractive football under Jokanovic, but now to put the other part of the game, the defensive part of the game, put it all together on display for us in the hardest way with 10 men for the last 25 minutes, to see that, it was still a disbelief for me, but it was utter joy when we all hugged. And then I just just went down to one knee and I just started bawling. And I'm not going to be afraid to tell you I was crying. Okay, I was crying. It was tears of joy because I, I got I, I got to see this, I got to be among everyone, I got to see Fulham go back to the Premier League. So, if people think I'm a baby because I was crying, so be it. It was tears of joy, and uh, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget this w- weekend as long as I live. It was amazing, and uh, that was putting it all together at the very end. I was still in disbelief when we were hugging, disbelief when I went down to one to knee and started crying, but You know, because it just wasn't, it it was just emotion. But I'm still like, I can't believe that this has has finally happened. It did. And now we have so much to look forward to, guys. And listen, I do have to wrap up this show. Mr. Crawford, thank you so much for for, for doing the show. This was excellent. I'm glad that you could join us tonight.
4: Thank you so much, guys. It's a pleasure to uh, to spend time with you always. And uh, enjoy your summer. And, uh, you know, enjoy the Premier League because
2: we're there. Absolutely. Fantastic. Max, thank you so much again for uh for doing this tonight for, for all the shows you've done during the year. You've been fantastic. And uh I can't thank you enough. And uh if you haven't checked out Max on, on the boot room, please check it out. He is being prolific writing running on, on the boot room. Check him out. But uh I was thinking about so many people. One of the people obviously I was thinking of Giannis. Yannis actually unfortunately had to uh drop off early and uh thank you, Giannis, for for doing the show. I think about people like him. I think about people like you, Max. Of course, Dan. So many people deserve that moment, and you deserved it, Max.
0: Ross, thank you so much for those amazingly kind words. You're far too kind, but I just want to give you a massive thank you as well. I was just like one of the fans uh, who you mentioned beforehand uh, for much of the for much of you know. I've been listening to College Talk for a very long time, and it's always been a dream of mine to actually be on this podcast. And this year for me has just been. A dream come true as well, just to be on there with you, sharing my thoughts on the film community, and it really came full circle uh, a- after this match because a bunch of supporters reached out to me. I'll give a quick shout out to Neil Stort, uh, who's an American supporter who tweeted at me. After. I saw that, and and that just and what he said was, "Thank you so much to me, and, and of course all the credit goes to you, Russ, for organizing this amazing podcast and keeping it going for so long." And he also said, "Max, thank you for helping me get in- into film." He's a new film fan. He's an I American. Know. That's and that means a world that we can help out supporters like that and just bring joy into people's lives because that's what Fulham is for me. And I yeah. know it is for you and Dan. Absolutely. And that's why I think the power of a podcast like this is just boundless because we can bring joy to people's lives while talking about the club we love. Yeah. And the oh. club we love just happened to have the best day in a very long time <laughs> this weekend. And I think we're rightfully enjoying that. And as Dan said, we're enjoying that for the whole summer.
2: Absolutely. And uh, I just want to mention, so I just want to thank all the listeners. We're still going to have more shows. Don't think that we're stopping Cottage Talk for the summer. We're going to have plenty of shows. And I just want to mention we are in the process of uh, planning our year in the Premier League, and we are going big time. There are going to be some changes to Cottage Talk that I think are going to be extremely positive. We're going to be expanding Cottage Talk. I can't go into more detail about that, but you are going to get more of Cottage Talk next season. That's all I'm going to say right now, but I want to thank you all for listening. Definitely want to thank my co-host, Max Cohen, Daniel Crawford from HammyN.com, And of course, Yanis Janais. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk.
1: The Talk Sport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However,
2: And all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougal share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.